Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode, New Year's episode of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. And, you know, I am so excited tonight to have two wonderful brothers who are very informed, prayerful. They're converts to the Catholic faith, and they both exhibit a real attunement and attentiveness to the word became flesh. What do I mean by that? That God is in heaven and he wants our hearts. It's where we're destined for eternity, but he took on flesh and blood. And it is this world that we are called to affect the kingdom. We can't hide out. You know, some people are called to that special vocation of prayer, uh, in monasteries, monastics and such, but we are called to engage the world in the political landscape. So I want to make, before I introduce our wonderful guest, Jeff Barefoot, attorney Jeff Barefoot and professor Drew Blazik. Uh, before that, I want to set the stage, three big points, and then I want to proclaim Psalm 106 because I think David speaks to us today. So the three points, number one, politics is not about a canonization. It's about the greatest good possible. We all recognize flaws and difficulties with our candidates, certainly Donald Trump. Nobody's seeking to canonize him and certainly not Biden. Number two, the good of that, the good possible, is not based upon a truth any of us can presume to create, but the truth in whom we are created. Very key point. Satan's doctrine is that truth is something we can manipulate, we can create, and we see that that is always going to trend towards catastrophe. Personal catastrophe, marriage, family, world, and that's exactly what we're seeing. We're about a truth in whom we are created. Number three, a paramount consideration for what is true, is that um, things hidden in darkness are coming to light and will come to light. But what we've experienced in the past months in particular is a concerted effort by nefarious forces united in a kingdom of creatures over a kingdom of our creator. That's the dividing line. The media no longer have been serving as public watchdogs with the goal of informed consent, but instead they've been about manufactured consent. So brothers and sisters listening tonight, if nothing else, let's approach all that we are experiencing and reading with the question, is this true? Is there a basis for truth? Because it is much more difficult today to really peel back the layers given this complicity of media forces that are feeding us a narrative that have an ideology of a kingdom of creatures versus the kingdom of the creator. With all of that, this Psalm 106 struck me in my prayer. It was in the office of readings this past week and just a part of this, I think, speaks so well to us today. So this is David speaking thousands of years ago. 106, Psalm, they worshiped the idols of the nations, and these became a snare to entrap them. They even offered their own sons and their daughters in sacrifice to demons. They shed the blood of the innocent, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they offered to the idols of Canaan. The land was polluted with blood, so they defiled themselves by their deeds and broke their marriage bond with the Lord, till his anger blazed against his people. He was filled with horror at his chosen ones. So he gave them into the hand of the nations, and their foes became their rulers. Their enemies became their oppressors. They were subdued beneath their hand. Time after time he rescued them, but in their malice they they dared to defy him and sank low through their guilt. In spite of this, he paid heed to their distress so often as he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant. In the greatness of his love, he relented, and he let them be treated with mercy by all who held them captive. O Lord, our God, save us 
bring us together from among the nations, that we may thank your holy name and make it our glory to praise you. Just want to point out, in the midst of this, where he's talking about giving us over to our desires and the catastrophe catastrophe that it results. As we look to 2021, many of us are kind of experiencing this and we're facing it coldly, abruptly. And as Jeff's going to kind of convey, share with us his experience of being at the nation's capital when things were playing out last Wednesday at the day of certification, if you will, and kind of paint that picture for us. We have not yet experienced the full redemption of this humanity that is promised in this psalm. So above all, in everything we speak about, Let's be mindful. We got to deal with the truth boldly and radically. God is sovereign, though. God is overall, but we have to participate in that sovereignty. So, with that said, welcome, Jeff. Welcome, Drew. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, Greg. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, doing good, Greg. Thanks. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about the uh, issues. Awesome. So let's get right down to it. Jeff, you had contacted me from our nation's capital while we were watching these events play out. And dare I say, from that ideological manufactured consent perspective, where we should all be asking, what is the real story happening here? And I noted numerable times from every every news network, they were definitely cutting off both visually and interview wise things that may have given a fuller portrait. So then I get this text from you, Jeff, saying, hey, I'm here. I, I got to share with you what's going on on here, Greg. We got to have a radio program. So I'm going to give you the stage now. Paint the picture, Jeff. What was your experience? Yeah, I want the listeners to know that uh, my perspective is not just from me. Uh, I was in a good position to be in contact with two uh, good friends I have. My first friend is on the police department of the Washington, D.C. Police Department. Uh, My other friend, I cannot say who it is because of the Mm -hmm. potential that that person could be but that uh, she was on the inside understand and uh and i was on the outside so let me take it from the beginning first um i went because i was convinced the vote was fraudulent and i wanted to support the most pro-life president in our history Mm. um Without Donald Trump at the helm, the pro-life movement's going to take a very, very deep, different direction. Mm-hmm. So on Monday, I was aware, as many of us were, of the hundreds of thousands of people that might be showing up. My friend, who's the police officer, was told by their leadership that they should expect somewhere around 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. And it would be just like any other Trump rally. There would be Antifa, there would be Proud Boys, and there would probably be some trouble, but no big deal. My response was, I'm hearing that there will be 700,000 to a million, too. And if those police officers are being told 100,000, either their leadership is incompetent Mm. or the leadership of the police department and the mayor's office is hiding something. So that was Monday. I took off Tuesday. I drove. I didn't fly. I did not want to fly. I wanted to be able to have my car in case I needed to get out of there or get somewhere. So as I drove down on Tuesday, we were all aware that the D.C. mayor issued a statement that she had called out the National Guard. She has no power to call out the National Guard. She has to go through the federal government to get that done. Hmm. But anyway, that was the story. I stayed at um, 9th and Ice Street, where I always stay for the March for Life. I want the listeners to know I've been to the last five years in a row. I've been to the March for Life. 
And the security there, now this was the most charged political gathering in the history of our country, I believe, mm. since, since the Washington gathering to stop the Vietnam War in the 70s. Uh, as I walked down to um, the National Mall and the ellipse in front of the White House, I was very aware that the security was about one-tenth of what it would be for a March for Life gathering. Hmm. There just wasn't any security that I could really identify and see. Interesting. That was quite strange. Secondly, I never saw a National Guard uh, member the entire day I was there, and I was all over the place. They just weren't there. Mm -hmm. So that was my first concern. Got down to um, got down to the rally by about 930 that morning, and it was glorious that morning. There were people from all over the country, and my goal was to move through the crowds as much as possible, uh, go to the African-American History Museum, front lawn, be at 15th and Constitution, walk all over the Washington Monument, get down to the Eclipse and interview and take pictures of as many people as I could, find out where these folks were from. Mm -hmm. They'd come from as far as Oregon, Seattle, uh, Vermont, Florida, Texas. I met a gentleman who flew in from Paris. Uh, it was astounding, very much like any March for Life we've ever been to. Wonderful. Trump was supposed to talk at 11, now, I want the listeners to understand, when you get down to the National Mall, all cell phones are scrambled. You can't text, you can't call, and you don't have Wi-Fi. So you do not know hmm. what is going on in the outside world. That's very, very important. Fascinating. So, right? And they started scrambling in 2018, because on all my prior marches, you could always reach out on mm -hmm. your cell phone. But in 18 and 19, they began to scramble down there. So nobody has cell phone service. Now, I have a, uh, a good friend who is coming down on a bus from another part of, of the state. And uh, I was aware that she arrived at about 930. Trump was supposed to speak at 11. He really didn't start speaking until noon, almost noon. I think it was 11.55. And he spoke for slightly over an hour. And it was difficult to hear him. Most of the people in the eclipse and in the area couldn't hear him very well. Um, but we were, you know, expect my expectation was the House and Senate were going to vote mm -hmm. and that the election would be challenged. That's what the crowd was mm -hmm. expecting. All right, so Trump stops talking at about 1.15, 1.10. I'm unaware there's a, a march going to the Capitol. Half of us or more never, never heard the president say we're going to walk down to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. So I'm figuring it's over, and I head back to my hotel room on 9th Street. I'm two blocks off 9th Street heading into my hotel, and I'm starting to get some texts that there might be some violence going on down at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. I went up to my hotel room, fired up my computer. Now, I'm only off the mall for 45 minutes, and people are already breaking in. Mm -hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I happened to get another text that National Public Radio had aired that there was a break-in at the Capitol, and that that was aired before Trump 
even began to speak. When I looked at what was going on, I decided, well, I know whatever happens, whatever's happening at the Capitol, my brothers and sisters in Christ won't get the real truth. Mm. So I'm going to go down there and get as close as I can get and see if I can discern what's actually going on. Go you. That's awesome. So Ninth Street. So, you know, I wanted to get right in the middle and see what I could see. Now, I get back down on Constitutional Avenue. Any of you that have ever been to the march know it's quite a it's quite a walk from the White House down Constitutional Avenue to the Capitol. Now, as I'm walking towards the Capitol, um, what I'm looking for is people coming back towards me. Hmm. There's as many people heading towards the Capitol as there are people coming toward me. Greg, what would you be looking for if you had heard what I heard and you saw people coming away from the Capitol? Well, the ba- the backdrop, of course, would be our experience this past summer with organized mobs that had violent intent and were rioting. Maybe, you know, if I'm seeing what the reports were right. saying anyways, I, let me say this. I, I would anticipate nefarious intent and not just selective, but in the whole crowd. Or I might even be looking for pockets. You know, what what, what what's being coordinated beyond yeah. <clears throat> the talk? Yeah, that's right. As I'm walking down Constitutional Avenue, I'm very aware the police don't have the side streets blocked off. There's no National Guard. I've just, I've got information that the Capitol has been breached. And I get a text on my, uh, on my phone that the mayor of D.C. has called for a 6 p.m. curfew. So as I'm walking towards the Capitol, I'm looking at people walking towards me. What I'm looking for is signs of panic, fear, people that have been tear gassed. You know, mm-hmm. there's none of that. There's mm-hmm. no sign of that at all. And I stopped a guy and said, hey, you know, what do you know about what's going on at the Capitol? I've heard there's a violence. And before I'd left the hotel, I had gotten a text that somebody had been shot in the neck. Mm-hmm. Well, these people didn't know anything about it. So as I approached the Capitol, it's now almost three o'clock. By the t- now, the Capitol has a top level. It's got a second level and a third step level and then the ground level. So as I'm approaching the Capitol at about Third Street, I can see there's police all on the top level. And I work my way up and I slowly start talking to everybody. I get up through the grass level and I decide, well, I'm going to get as far up on the third level, the second level that I can possibly get up there. And it took me about 20 minutes because the crowd was so thick. I'd say there are 20,000, 25,000 people there. And everybody I'm talking to, because they don't have cell phone service, they don't know what I know. They have no clue what's going on. They have absolutely no idea there's been violence in the Capitol on the sides have been breached. And I'm talking to people from North Dakota and Chicago, Mm -hmm. Texas, and they don't know it. When I get up to the top, I don't see any signs of the police telling people to disperse. Mm. It's a big rally. No confrontation. People, People have flags. No, no confrontation yeah. whatsoever. No, nothing. No, you know, no disbursement, no uh, shooting the tear gas. No, you must leave there. You know, the Capitol is closed. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I wait an hour and I take all kinds of videos and films and pictures because mm. I'm thinking there's something going on in there. Mm. But it sure isn't. It sure isn't seeing a reaction from 10, 20,000 people on the steps. Mm. They don't see it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So I wait, I wait till about four o'clock and I decide, well, I know there's a curfew coming at six. There sure doesn't seem to be any problem here. I'm going to head back. 
So I walk back down Constitutional Avenue. I get about two blocks off Constitutional Avenue. My phone blows up. I'm getting text messages and emails and phone calls from my dear friends all over the country that there's been, the Capitol's been breached. There's been a murder. There's violence going in. Uh, What I'm getting from my friends is showing me they're getting some information that I just didn't see at all. Duplicity, huge so duplicity. By the time, oh, it's just amazing. I'm And I'm trying to immediately start texting videos and fo- photos of what I just left. By the time I get back to the hotel, it's almost five o'clock. And the only thing I can think of is I want to get up to my room. And the first thing I want to do is turn on NBC and see how they're reporting this. Mm-hmm. I did just that. And what I saw on television almost made me sick. They were calling the people on the front lawn and the steps of the Capitol, protesters, rioters, and insurrectionists, which would have included me. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the next day, I contact my friend who had gotten into the Capitol. And here's what I was told. They walked to the north side, the south side and the north side of the Capitol those doors are never open for the general public. You enter the Capitol through one door only, the front door on the west side. They walked around. She was in a group of people, and they walked around to the north end because they heard somebody had been injured. Mm. And they, they didn't see anybody injured, so they walked up to the north door. They were pounding on the door. And I said, well, you know, wh- why were you trying to get in? She said, well, we wanted to go in and let our voice be heard. I think I think they thought they were going to go into the gallery hmm. and she said all of, all of a sudden out of nowhere, somebody comes up to the front door and Jimmy's it and the front door opens and they're all they all walk in. They're not stopped. Now, on the other side of the building, somebody's been murdered. Wow. And the, and the members of the House and Senate are being cleared and they're letting these people just walk right in. And. What I was told was they walked in and there was a security guard sitting at a desk. Hmm. They all just walked around him. No obstruction whatsoever. There was nobody there to stop him. That's right. That's right. But even more than that, there should have been two barricades before you got to that door. Hmm. And if there'd been a murder inside and shots fired, that door would have been secured. There there just wasn't. Can I pause you a second, Jeff? On the other side. Yeah, yeah. You know, as you're telling this story... Absolutely right. Just for our listeners' sake, what all of us got, what the population got through establishment media across the board, what were, were select images of people breaking through windows and breaking in with a narrative that framed it all as sort of a Trump ordered or incited insurrection. It was right out of the gauge without any kind of due diligence that one might expect out of the media. Uh, There was none of that. And simultaneously, I will say, off the establishment media space, I had your text, but there were others that were showing people, you know, posing with some of the Capitol Police police opening the doors, and you also saw images, which anybody can see, you're not going to get this from the establishment media, but of Trump supporters trying to restrain those who were doing violence or, or, or threatening the Capitol and saying, stop it, knock it off, even calling them Antifa. And of course, later on, th- there were innumerable examples of photo identification of leaders uh, breaking into the Capitol who are also seen as leaders uh, in Black Lives Matter Antifa scenes in past videos. 
else. Anyways, continue just for to frame this. If that's what you're kind of surmising, there's something else going on here uh, that that is meant to right. frame the, pro, the you know Trump supporters in this the capital offense, if you will. Continue. Right. That's that's right. So my 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 friend and I build a moment by moment uh, comparison with her being on the inside, my being on the outside, and once they got in, she said they they she was in a crowd. The leader was a 70-year-old man walking with a cane. There was a lady in that group that was 83. There were two young women that were in their 20s. She said it was just, it was a, a, an amalgamation of the people that had been at the rally. Hardened criminals. But yeah. Just, <laughs> I mean, just absolutely remarkable. And, and uh, my friend is a very, very responsible person. Um, I mean, I'm just even flabbergasted that she would walk in, but she did. They got to the front of a line and all of a sudden she said they got sprayed with fire extinguisher. <laughs> Capitol police don't spray people with fire extinguisher. Hmm. They What's might going on there? You. Yeah, exactly. Nobody knows. Hmm. And next thing she knows, there's a guy in front calling them to go up the stairs. And at that point, she says, look, this is getting out of control. I'm not going up those stairs. I'm going to leave. Now, she's out of the building heading back toward the Lincoln Monument at about 310, just about the time I'm arriving at the front steps. So somebody's already been shot on the other side of the building. The news media is reporting and filming congressmen and senators running for dear life. And on the other side, there's nothing going on. And out in front, there's nobody telling us to go away. Mm. Well, now I also then find out from my police officer friend that when they arrived at the Capitol, the Capitol Police were asked by all the local police authorities and the National Guard if they needed help. And the answer they got from the Capitol Police, we got this covered, no problem. <laughs> we have 10 times more security for a march mm. for life yes. than we had there. Somebody... Somebody on the inside didn't want security. That's my opinion. They Why? Didn't want it. Put 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 the pieces together as you're it's telling the, the story. My, Go ahead. My opinion. My opinion is the Reichstag 1933 all over again. That's my personal opinion. Okay. I can't. I can't prove that. Now I want the listeners to understand one thing. We don't know what actually did happen. It's not we can determine the truth because there's too many moving parts even still. What we do know is that what was told on the national news media isn't true. That's one thing we know. That's not the full story. This woman that was shot was a 14-year U.S. Air Force veteran. My understanding is she spent her entire career in security. Mm. She was shot point blank. You can see it on the videos. Mm. Now, when, when the D.C. police were finally called in, when they arrived at the Capitol, inside the Capitol, the barricades were already put up, not outside. And the police officer that I know had no idea what was going on on the outside and had no idea there was no security to block those doors. Absolutely didn't know. So <laughs> from three different points of view, the chaos, the confusion, the murder, and the number of people that were very clearly violent 
you know, you you don't you don't embed uh, a mob like that and not have them burn mm-hmm. things down and break windows. What what you do is you put ten or twelve all of them dressed as t- Trump people, get them in the crowd hmm. and get them inside, you know, and <laughs> it just, what, what has been put out in the, the speed at which it was put out, the speed at which the members of the Senate turned on president Trump and the speed over the last 72 hours of calling literally to, to deplatform any pro-life Trump supporters when 70, 72 million people voted for him is mm-hmm. is exactly what we've been talking about for the last year. We've been blocked in our homes. Our churches mm-hmm. have been shut down. Mm-hmm. And now it looks to me like what went on was coordinated. So thank so you. That's the story. Wow, Jeff. Thank you for sharing that portrait. And my, my brain uh, resembles the proverbial gerbil in the running wheel not quite seeing how it all fits together, but I will say if anything, needing to suspect anything reported by any establishment media, and and this is the problem, right? When you can't trust the establishment media, as we used to at least get pieces together and get a full picture, at least you'd have some contrarian reports from other people of different things, different perspectives. That is like, that is out the window. So when you, you can't rely on the sources of truth, you move into an area of, dare I say, theory. To fill in the spaces, you have to theorize. So if you want to call it conspiracy theory, which we know was likely invented by the CIA to inoculate people against the narrative that they wanted to give, it's a little bit of a, of a chess move there, a little bit of a sophisticated trick. Again, if you want to inoculate a people from being attuned to what is really happening, you, you, you invent uh, uh, language such as conspiracy theory so you can easily apply that hypothetically, to somebody who is going against what they want you to believe to be true. But we're left with a situation, if I were to define 2020, it's the year that the realists found themselves living in the same neighborhood as the conspiratorial theorists. But when you can't trust the media, you've got to theorize and you have to look at these things. And so now what, what I hate to say is the, the kick in the gut, right, beyond what's played out politically. And let's be really clear. Trump is a fallen man, imperfect. Biden, fallen man, imperfect. We're not canonizing them. But the greatest good in the platforms reveal a decided representative evil versus a good with regard to the hierarchy of goods that are revealed to to us. We didn't create these. You can't have liberty or pursuit of happiness without life, religious freedom. All of these areas, they are committed diabolically to not only them being liberalized on demand, but at our expense through nine months and beyond a pregnancy with abortion alone. I mean, th- this is grave matter, folks. As one priest, uh, Father Jeff Kirby, maybe I will play his clip, the short bit from his homily just a few short week, uh, weeks ago on the feast of uh, Thomas Becket, where he, he, he speaks very clearly that this is grave, grave matter, and we are complicit in it. We are determinants of it. So we're now looking to 2021, where you see an almost... Um, well, not uh, an uh, evident coordinated purge in every space where we used to be able to have some information, some exchange of ideas. We're seeing a veritable purge from the president on down of anything that is contrary to the narrative that they want to uh, indoctrinate us in. Drew Blazik, your thoughts? Man, I, I remember the um, you know listening about the inside with Jeff, the experience he had watching the news. I've been trying to stay away from the mainstream media because it kind of puts a damper on your, uh, your, uh, your soul, mm-hmm. but just, just hearing about it, you could tell the narrative. I mean, right away when you see Antifa, Black Lives Matter, when they do protests and they burn down stuff, you always see the narrative as 
well, it was peaceful and there's some bad apples. But what was coming out right away, and you still see in the news, they try to tie it to Trump supporters. They mm. say Trump supporters broke in. Um, and, and, and what's crazy about it, when you follow social media, I have a lot of friends that went out there. I mean, older people, uh, your grandma, and I see them getting attacked big time now, just saying, oh, you guys are against America. And you could just tell it's a very coordinated effort to uh, uh, control the narrative, control the information. Um, am I surprised? No. I mean, if we, if we feel like the election was stolen, if uh, they're doing everything they can to get the information stifled, and then mm-hmm. instantly they banned Trump from Twitter, and mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy. And then the whole thing with Parler that happened, if uh, people don't know about it, the mm-hmm. only other big platform, I would say, like a Twitter, uh, Amazon, Google, they all colluded, and now they don't even have a site. So uh, it's pretty crazy. So let's pull out, uh, zoom out, uh, maybe 100 yards up off the ground. We see this as a critical moment in human history where uh, unprecedented number of elected representatives had sufficient basis to challenge the electors, which they did. And of course, they didn't have the numbers for that to follow through, but they wanted to make the statement that there's enough empirical evidence out there to suggest fraud. Now, I know that's been framed, again, as I said earlier, sort of conspiratorial, but there are innumerable examples, I wish I had the sites right now, that demonstrate, even from data scientists, an MIT, a Fulbright scholar who evaluated the algorithms, saw the definite curve in the line that indicated, not just indicated, pronounced a switch of tens of thousands of votes from Trump to Biden. We have innumerable examples. So, you know, I, I, I'm stunned, I will say, over the last months with that data and that information that, number one, it was never rejoined, it was never responded to, and that the establishment media continued with the agreed-upon language adjective of baseless, baseless claims. Now, we do know in the midst of all that, there probably were many, there were many baseless claims. There were many things that were maybe explained with greater clarity later. So zooming out, though, we definitely have a feel in this country held by at least half of the country that we we are not experiencing the public watchdog, accurate reporting that we all deserve and are merited for us to be participants in this republic, which is what constitutes this republic, that we are informed by truth so that we can reasonably participate in it. And as you said, Drew, now we are seeing, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And I also saw recently Stripe, I guess, might have been Trump's means of raising money. So we see the corporate America complicit in pulling out any normal human capacity to function because of its ideological persuasion without sufficient reason. So I certainly welcome additional commentary on that landscape. What does that mean, though, looking into 2021? I mean, what what, what are we facing right now with a uh, executive branch and um, legislative branch dominated by this agenda? And uh, what's that going to mean for us? What are your thoughts on that? I guess uh, I could take uh, my opinion where I think it's going to go towards, like, you get a lot of people think, oh, we're going to be thrown into prison, stuff like that. I think it's more subtle where if you stand for basic Christian Catholic principles, you you, you stand for traditional marriage. And I hate using the word traditional uh, to say you, you, uh, you believe in marriage, that they're going to come after you, attack you in a way where if we're all controlled by somewhat big tech, by big corporations, 
they can shut you down pretty easy. Mm -hmm. uh, you can lose your job. You can lose, uh, um, unless you comply to it. It's not, I don't think it's going to be where, Hey, deny Jesus Christ, thrown into jail, nothing mm -hmm. like that. But you're gonna have to deny some of the truths of the faith in order to be accepted. And, and you see a lot of that, I think in society and a lot of Christians will say, you know what? I got, I got Jesus in my pocket. And I think if I, um, I could say, you know what? Marriage is up to the person or, Mm -hmm. Or you could be a woman or a man, depending on whatever you want to be, and there's no truth. And if you speak yep. the truth, just like there is so much evidence of fraud, and if you speak it, they're going to deplatform you. They're going to make you look like a crazy. Um, I mean, I bring this up with my friends. Look at the fact of the election. Trump looked like he was going to win. I remember that. I went outside. It felt so good. It was like 10.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the three, the four states, you had uh, uh, Pennsylvania, you had Michigan, and Wisconsin all announced at the same exact time. It was like a collusion, almost like big tech, mm -hmm. where they said, we're going to stop the votes and count in the morning. Like, all of a sudden. And then you had Atlanta, Georgia, say there was a water break, which there was no water break, and they're going to stop the votes. Mm -hmm. You tell me that's a coincidence that those are the only areas that saw that massive change in votes? And if you speak the truth in that respect, they'll shut you down. And I think that's going to go towards our Catholic faith. It's going to go towards uh, not just the principle, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is God, but do we believe in the 100% of what the dogmas teach, of what the Church teaches? Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the challenge. And I think that's the purification that the Church will face, mm -hmm. is for people like yes. us to make sure we stand for it. Indeed. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And in fact, it is punctuated by California deliberations of whether or not they should call the Bible scripture hate literature. Because even though they've endeavored to proof text the language to justify evil, as it says in scripture, there will come a day when they call evil good and good evil. Um, the, the, no one with a reasonable mind reading this can 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 diminish the uh, the clarity of God paving the way of loving us and desiring us to be in unity with him and paving that truth. And let me just say it aloud. Uh, none of us are there. I'm not there, but I'm not going to diminish or presume to diminish the call to salvation or its mark because I struggle with things. You know, why, why would anybody who loves, I'm a father of seven children, why would I not want the good for them and communicate that good, whether it's running out into a busy street or, a, you know, an orange uh, stovetop where I tell them don't touch it? What, what father doesn't create lines or boundaries to protect their children? That's what a loving God does in Scripture in all of these areas. And Drew, I think you kind of touched upon this, and it really is at the heart of it. I think the satanic doctrine is that we can presume to create truth versus a truth in whom we are created. And a second doctrine of Satan, I think, that is that we all can be challenged by. We need to examine the way that we are, the way we think about things and our attitudes, but is to equate desire, our own desire, as its own basis of moral good. Because I desire such a thing, ergo, it must be good. And they don't carry out the argument, right? If it's true that everything that anybody desires is its own objective good, Without being questioned, we've got nothing to say about pedophilia, bestiality, adultery. We've got nothing to say about any of these particular issues. Hey, my, my issue may not be theirs, but I've got my own disordered desires that merit my self-control. And that's the beauty of our faith, right? It, it clarifies that truth for our own good 
And it gives us the grace to walk in that light and to experience the goodness of it. And anybody who's, who's experienced the lie that we can create our own truth or that our desire is its own good, who's experienced the catastrophe of that, Joseph Shiambra, a good brother who, who was led down that path, unfortunately, by Catholic priests who failed to speak the truth to him, went through the, the terrible life of seeing friends die and suffer at through AIDS in the California homosexual culture, only to come back later because of the um, clarity and courage of some priests who then spoke the truth to him about homosexuality, found it as an occasion of conversion, and still suffers tremendously physically, in a lot of ways, I would say emotionally, from a church that failed him early on, and that in these days, certainly there are many who've spoken the truth, but let's just invoke this. People are searching for the truth, and even in our church, sometimes, dare I say, it, it, it's confused at best, it's not spoken about, and um, and this is that in the darkness that we're facing, um, not knowing what is true and good, it's never been in greater need to speak the truth with love. Jeff, your thoughts? Greg, let's put some historical perspective on this. Um, first of all, we, we're being purified, and I think your Psalm 106 laid it right out. When we look back and understand God is the creator of the universe, and he is the ultimate reality, and he intervenes in the affairs of men, he establishes government, he establishes nations, he establishes the rulers. Mm-hmm. Let me give three examples of lying and turning against God and what happens. He waits, he gives mercy, he's patient, and at some point, the hammer of judgment comes down. The American Civil War is a perfect example. Um, Look at the South after the Civil War was over. It was utter devastation. It was, there was no economy left. 20% of the men between the ages of 18 and 40 were dead. There was no economy. It was, it was overrun. Let's look at the Soviet Union. 70 years it lasted, and it fell like a stone. Over 100 million people murdered in 70 years. Look at Nazi Germany. When it was done, there was nothing standing. This country has tolerated the murder of over 50 million babies. We are drenched in the blood, and the judgment has now come. Now, for each one of us, what does that mean? Well, for me personally, it means what you're talking about. How am I complicit? How am I not walking in holiness? How do I need to clean up my own act? Mm. How do I try and become part of the purification? How have I made my love for country higher than my love for Christ? Mm. How have I made the history of this country a rival for my affections to the Lord Jesus? Those are the things I'm struggling with. And he, he will do his work, but he can only do his work when we devote ourselves to increasing our own purification. I love that. And I, I am wanting to just marinate in it. Um, brother Jeff, and uh, with you, Drew, uh, uh, that that God is sovereign and he's over these things happening. He doesn't desire all the destruction, evil that we've chosen, we've brought upon ourselves. And uh, he, he's allowing it for us to see clearly and to choose clearly. Um, Drew, you have a lot of insights from now. Let's zoom up 
to the heaven perspective and look at the unveiling of these events from God's divine revelation, the public revelations that we can have confidence in that the church has approved that uh, have been truly heaven speaking. We have a whole episode about that. I'll share that in the show notes where Drew does share with us a fuller portrait of um, prophecies present and past that um, accurately describe the circumstances that are playing out. But Drew, your insights from that perspective. Um, I think you have to go back. You have to go back to Fatima in 1917 when, um, and there's a lot to it, but um, when Mary visited the three young children, she said that if my, um, my warning isn't heeded or talk about men must, must repent, that the uh, errors of uh, Russia will spread around the world. And everybody thought, well, it was errors of Russia. They think it's like an economic, and a part of it is. But really, it's the destruction of the family. Uh, Russia was the first country to have abortion. They did it in 1920. So this has been the 100th year of abortion um, that was legalized for an actual country that spread around the world. Um, gender roles change. I mean, you can go down, look at what communists really stand for, a destruction of the family. And we have, uh, Father Hardin said, that we are the uh, greatest uh, successful Marxist nation ever. Mm. Not necessarily an economic system, but the destruction. So, wow. I mean, there's a lot to it. Um, I I was connected to, there, there's a Mary in, in the 60s appeared to these uh, four girls in Gar and Bendel. And what happened was when the Soviet Union fell, the message kind of went aside because they talked about during this time, there's going to be a chastisement coming up, that there'll be a tribulation, a communist tribulation. And we see the rise of China and what's going on in the world today. And now everybody's looking back at Gar Mendel of what that message is. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating, in 1980 or 79, one of the girls was interviewed, and she said, it appeared to me in those days when there's going to be a, a communist tribulation that it would be hard for priests to say mass. It would be hard to practice the faith, mm-hmm. and the doors will be shut. She said that in 1980, wow. and this apparition was in the 60s. If you, to me, that's just such a telling of communism spreading around and this coronavirus. And I just see if men don't repent. And in the 60s, Mary said, the cup is filled, already filled and overflowing. Mm. And if men don't change their ways, the chastisement will come. I, I, compared today to then, I mean, you get New York City, um, bragging about partial or not partial birth, but infanticide. You get, you get Minnesota as a public like the actual government celebrating homosexual San Francisco marriages. You get that stuff. It just seems to me that there is going to be a chastisement. And as a Christian to me is to be more abiding Christ mm. in the sacraments to visit. And one of the messages of Gar Mandel is to visit the sacrament the Eucharist, people don't understand it. That's what Mary was saying. We have to visit Christ to do sacrifices for sinners, do reparation as an individual thing. What the Pope and the bishops can do, we can't control, but we only can control what we can do. And I think that's mm. the small part. And just to give a quick example, and I'll be done about it, is that one of the sacrifices, like one of the girls was chewing gum, and Mary said, spit it out, simple sacrifices things that we enjoy, just give it up and do it for Christ. And that's, that's what heaven's looking for. I love that, Drew. And I love that portrait. And I think we need, as Frank, she said, to see the world sane is to see it God bathed. 
And, and if we desire to see clearly, then to see sanely, to see it God bathed, it's more than simply knowing the principles and the truths. It's a kind of immersion in prayer, right? Like, are we committed in this new year is the time most people make decisions. We're looking at Lent really a little over than a month from now. I, I would submit that the most powerful thing we can do is to rediscover God alive in our own souls by making the time for prayer, not simply a prayer book, which is good. Start with certainly divine office, right? And the Psalms and readings and those things are great. But I say, go further in that Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. How many of us in the morning are cultivating that kind of intimacy with God that, that, you know, if you will, gives us a, a perspective of heart and mind to look at the world through God's lens so that no matter what happens, we're not like Matthew 7 being tossed about uh, as one building on shifting sand versus solid rock. Um, that is such a challenge. And, uh, you know, I might say, and I want to shift this to this in this direction, Newhouse had a book once um, before becoming Catholic, I believe, but he called it the Catholic moment. And that, that title of that book has stuck with me, uh, regardless of its content, which certainly speaks to these things. But I truly believe that this church that Christ gave us as an instrument of salvation, his very presence with us obviously is going to become a major source of attack by Satan, right? He's going to blemish the answer to our deepest aspirations. He's going to blemish its promise. And we've seen priests that have been wounded, bishops, cardinals, etc., our Pope. Um, and I do think the challenge to us is to pray for them, to really uphold and affirm those priests who are living it, right? There are many who, who are striving to live it. And I think discovering a voice, I think, is happening in a lot of ways. We need to pray that they recognize uh, we cannot become friends with this world. If we deny Christ in this world, he'll deny us before the Father. And their, their primary call as priests is to get us to heaven, to speak that truth with love, to invite us on that journey. So we need to pray for them and support them in a particular way. And in the midst of that, lay people, I think, with, with the virus, with the politics, with everything else— we're recognizing that, you know, as we yearn for salvation, it's not ultimately going to come by way of pope, pastor, priest, or principal. It's going to come by way of parents. It's going to come by way of those who who have in their circle of influence, Stephen Covey and his seven habits of highly effective people, right? These fundamental principles of success, of success. He speaks of the circles of influence. Parents, those of you who are listening right now, you may be uh, jarred by the things happening in the world, and rightly so, but don't be so immersed in them that we neglect that which is in front of us right now, and that is to preside over God's presence alive in our marriages, and in our families. Don't wait for the pastor to initiate some program and hang it on that hook of some once a week you go to this place. No, your home is that retreat context. Your home is that place where you are appointed and anointed to be the guide, to be the director. Like God wants us to have his vision for the tremendous potentiality, might I say territory-taking potentiality of the family, to live fully and give a witness to the world. You know, I think, and excuse my monologue here, I want you guys to dive in on this, but I think a great reason the world is in the place it is right now is because those who have been languishing have been looking for an answer and have not found it in those appointed and anointed to do so, namely families. They don't see the vibrant witness of families. They see parents who have delegated their kids to authorities that are not of God. They've seen uh, families that go to Mass even or pray, but do not exhibit that vitality and living it out when their kids become 17, 18, 19. And we know it, free will's in there, and they can choose it anyways. But I, I think this is an era we have to recognize God's design, His amazing purpose for us, empowers marriages and families. And to seize that, to overcome all of our selfishness, 
all of our misguided, you know, surrendering ideals to the rest of the world, which we discovered when when families were quarantined. You know, parents were suddenly found themselves with their children in their homes and a good majority were ill-equipped. They were complaining. I mean, that to me put on center stage the degree to which parents have abrogated their primary role which should be a delight and a joy with the challenges. Let's keep it real. The delight and the joy with the challenges of becoming, as John Paul II said, become what you are, to become that icon of the Trinity and to live it abundantly. In my commercial, of course, is folks, join us at ilovemyfamily.us. We want to journey together in, uh, in God's vision for us as marriages and families. We want to experience this chastisement, perhaps in our own attitudes of how we've delegated this to lesser forces who don't have our children's interests. So, Catholic moment, Catholic moment. How is this the Catholic moment, Jeff? When we stand at the cross with Mary and understand what she was promised at the Annunciation was that her son would be the redeemer of the world, the ultimate reality of life. And she's standing there with him dying on a cross. Mm. But she shows us the faith that somehow she knew this was going to work. And that somehow God was going to do what he had promised. Her faith never wavered. That's where we are. We can look at the world we're living in. It all seems to be collapsing around us. Everything institutional in our lives seems to be failing, including the church. Mm -hmm. But Christ has promised that he will, that that church will be with us forever. And, you know, in regard to the comments on Garbendal, we have to have that hope. And we, we have to see that even though we, we can't see the entire picture. We have to believe in the truth. Jesus Christ is the ultimate reality. It's awesome. Drew, your thoughts? Um, I just think it's, uh, when you look at different um, events and stuff, it's, it's comforting to know, even though we might suffer much, is that Christ is in control. And he sent his mother to come down and warn the world about many things that will take place. So uh, to me, that's comforting because I don't have to, I don't have to have faith in the, uh, the leaders right now in the church. Mm. I don't have like I don't have to have that because I know things will work out good. But it's it's um, when Jeff mentioned about Mary at the cross. I always go back to Luke, and we always read this part. Me and the family, where Simeon came out and said, "A sword shall pierce your mm. soul, so that the hearts of many shall be revealed." <laughs> so Mary had to suffer for me, so I can reveal my heart better. And I f- I feel like a lot of cast we have to be willing and dedicated not to be necessarily a victim soul but to suffer for i mean it, it, just real quick just like the, uh, the our lady of uh, akita said when fire comes down from heaven which could be averted if we repent that it the suffering would be the righteous and the unrighteous so the righteous will have to suffer but we get to suffer maybe to help out the unrighteous to uh, go to heaven because many souls go to hell without anybody praying for them mm. So I, I think it's a dedication to be willing to suffer and for the salvation of our enemies and people that have nothing to do with Christ. Folks, you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live and so blessed to have this conversation with attorney Jeff Barefoot and Professor Drew Blazik. We kind of gave this the theme, capital offense, a double entendre referring to the events of this past week, but ultimately a message of of hope in God's sovereign providence and love for us and desire that we not be lost but that we be saved and uh, saved not according to our own way or plan as, as we might presume to be, but his way 
And as we approach Lent, he showed his way. It's the way of the cross. He says, all who come after me must deny their very self, take up their cross and follow. Whoever who keeps his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. And uh, that, that's, that is the DNA of the body of Christ, of, uh, of holy community flowing from Holy Communion. So let's cling fast to that as, as a community. And, and maybe just, again, beginning with a recommitment to encountering God in our prayer time, to, to discovering the transforming, illuminating grace that is poured out when we make that time to pray. But then secondly, overflowing to our marriages and families. That's where the battle is. Right now, can we say, Lord, give me your heart to see my spouse and my children the way you see them. Not just the joys and the delights, but the challenges. And can I carry that burden? Can I share that burden? Give me the words, the insights, the love, the sacrifice, the care to reach into the world and be an occasion of your love, leading them back to your heart. And then even further, if we can do that, right, that's the next step. But then, you know, it's our schools, our places of work, those that we work with in the community. Right now, every one of us can think of somebody who we see regularly, who needs to more fully know God's love. Can we pray, Lord, give me your eyes. Give me a heart to see them the way you see them, that I can lead them closer to you to know you more fully. Last chance for final thoughts in this really, truly, uh, seemingly uh, disconnected, but I know there's a thread that defines all of this, and it's the love of God desiring us for him. But just as we close today, uh, any final thoughts of things that you just are moved to say and uh, kind of punctuating the ending here? Jeff. The opening chapter of the Gospel of John says that Jesus is the light that came in the world, and that light was not overcome by darkness. Mm. We are being fed darkness. We are being fed untruth. But Jesus Christ is truth itself. We can rejoice in that. And in the body of Christ, we have to stand up, love one another, support one another. Let our love for one another grow. That's how the world knows that we're Christians, Mm. is how we love each other. Beautiful. Thank you. Drew? Uh, I got... uh, just two things is uh, an interesting uh, point of view is that it seems like our culture is going back to the pagan, our ancestors, the pagan worship that they had. And the verse from Matthew where Jesus said, when they cast out the demon and if you don't clean the house, what happens? Mm-hmm. If the pagan demons are coming back, they come back sevenfold and with anger and fury. So, um, and also just, I think we have to have our intellects guided by truth like you said, mm-hmm. a love for truth is you can equate a love for Christ and our uh, our wills guided by charity. So uh, is our intellects guided by the truth of Christ and our and our uh, wills guided by the love of God. And uh, I think we'll be okay. Great words from both of you. And as always, just so blessed to be on the journey with the likes of Jeff Barefoot and Drew Blazik, their families and this community here. Folks, if you're if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling alienated, if you're in need of a kind of strength, you know, find that friend that is going to speak truth, as Drew speaks of, speaks of, that, that seeks the heart of Christ, um, that we can be kindred with them and, and, and be a source of encouragement to them and receive the grace through them. But we're blessed to be in this Toledo area. We do have a very good bishop, many good priests we are united with on this journey. And uh, let's proclaim God's authority. Let's co- proclaim his victory in the way we live. So blessed to be on the journey with you all. Until next time, God bless you.
Check us out at ilovemyfamily.us. Join us in this journey of encountering God more fully alive in our marriages and families. And I just want to throw this out there again. If you really like what you're hearing, if you're moved, if it's touching you, um, please consider partnering with us. Go to massimpact.us. As we approach the end of this year, we really rely on your financial support. Certainly your prayers, but your financial partnership helps us to continue, helps us to be that light and that encouragement to help marriages and families live fully what we're called to be. Thank you again. God bless you. Until next time. Death to life, from dark to light. I, I see your eyes, you satisfy my breath revives. You say your eyes, from death to life, from dark to light. my soul